Good evening. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. Man, it's good to be here, and uh, I'm excited for tonight, and I'm flipping still to my verses. There we go. Awesome. Well, hey, welcome to Genesis. We are glad you guys joined us tonight, and uh, here at Genesis, uh, we believe in having open doors and open hearts, and so I hope that when you walk through the door tonight that you felt welcome, that you felt comfortable, that you felt invited, and I also hope tonight that you came with an open heart one that is ready to receive something from the Word of God, from the Holy Spirit, and, and I hope that you came with, uh, with ears open and, and eyes to see, and, and so I have big hopes for tonight, big expectations for tonight, and my name is Mike, by the way, and I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis, and so if it's your first time, I'd love to meet you afterwards if I haven't met you already. So before we start, I do need to do one housekeeping thing, okay? One, one, one thing I need to say, uh, if, you probably know this by now, but if you don't, my wife Emily and I are expecting a baby. And, which is exciting, uh, really awesome, and he is due next month, and so my plan is in October, when, when the, around the due date, whenever he's born, to take two weeks off, and so for two weeks, I won't be here, and so I just wanted you guys to know that, and so for those two weeks, there will be two guest speakers for those two weeks, and so I just didn't want you to show up on a Tuesday and be like, what's going on, who is this guy, what's happening, okay? So not that you come for me, but just so you know, just so you're not confused, now that you're in the dark, that's what's happening. So I plan to take two weeks off, and, uh, but I'll be back, and hopefully I'll bring him with me so you guys can all meet him, which would be awesome. Uh, tonight, we are concluding our series, The Gospel of Noah. And so if you would, go ahead and turn to, to Genesis chapter 7. And while you're doing that, I'm going to get you up to speed of what we've been talking about over the last two weeks. Uh, in week one, we started this series of Noah where we've discussed the, the story of Noah and the ark and how it's not just this, this story to be left in Sunday school or, or just a cute kid's story, but instead a story of obedience and faithfulness and rescue from the wrath of God. And in week one, we talked about how the ark started really small and how Noah built it one piece at a time, one piece of wood at a time, and, and how often we can find ourselves in the small stages of life and, and we said that how we treat where God has us is a reflection of how much we trust where God has us. And then last week, we saw the flood come, and then Noah and his family get on the ark, and we talked about how the Lord sealed Noah in, that the Lord shut the door, and, and how this was a picture of our own salvation, that we step away from our previous ways, we step into faith in Christ, and then he seals our salvation. And so tonight, as we conclude this series, we'll see the flood subside and then the events that followed that. But before we jump into the story tonight, I want to bring you into the discussion. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a season of life where you feel like God has forgotten you? Have you ever been in a season of life where you feel like God has forgotten you? Have you ever been in a season of life where, where it feels like you're waiting or a season of maybe silence from God or a season of, of just being okay? I know for me, I, I know I'm in a season like that when, when someone asks me, how are you? And my answer is, I'm all right. Because if I said, yeah, I'm doing awesome, too blessed to be stressed, never been better, that's just not an honest answer. And if someone were to ask me, how are you really doing, I would say, well, I'm, I'm doing okay, but where I'm at in life right now is just not my ideal situation. And maybe, maybe you find yourself in that spot tonight, or maybe you've been in that spot before. And so that's what we'll be talking about tonight. And so I'm going to take a moment and pray, and then we'll jump into the scripture. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for gathering us here tonight. 
uh, God, from all different walks of life, and God, we are united tonight under one purpose, and that is to see your name glorified. So God, we pray tonight that this message, that you would speak, that it would not fall on deaf ears or rocky or thorny soil, but instead we would have ears to hear and eyes to see what you have for us. God, I thank you that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word remains forever. We trust it to speak tonight. In Jesus' name, if you agree with me, say amen. All right, so let's read. This is Genesis 7, 17 through 24, and this is what it says. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on, on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out, talking about God, he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So we see that the flood continued for 40 days. It rained for 40 days. And the waters, it says, rose high above the earth to the point where it says that the waters were so deep that the mountains were 15 cubits underwater. So a cubit is a biblical measurement, but it's about a foot. It's roughly a foot. And so to think 15 feet, the mountains were 15 feet under the water, that's pretty crazy. And, and we see that every living thing that lived on dry ground, animals and humans, died in the flood. So God had completely wiped out everything except for Noah and his family and the animals on the ark. And the flood stayed for 150 days. And so for five months, 150 days, five months, Noah hung out on the ark, which was successfully doing what it was designed to do. It was floating on top of the water. And nobody in their right mind would have thought that life on the ark was the new normal. We can imagine what Noah might have been thinking while on the ark for those five months. Like, okay, now what? What's next? Surely I don't live the rest of my life on this ark. What am I supposed to do now? Hopefully God hasn't forgotten me. Had God forgotten Noah? Let's keep reading and see, and we'll get our answer pretty quickly. This is Genesis 8, 1 through 5. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heaven were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it says, God remembered Noah. And this led God to send this strong wind over the earth to cause the flood to start subsiding. And what I want to do before we move forward is to make clear the power that's in that phrase, that God remembered Noah. Because there's two ways you could read or hear that. And, and I want to make a distinction between the two. So, so for a moment, if you would, Let's take a trip down memory lane and think about your time in high school. The lockers, the acne, the braces, the curfews. If someone were to ask you right now, do you remember so-and-so from high school? Given that you knew the person, 
your answer would be one of two things. It would either be A, oh yeah, totally forgot about her. Wonder what she's up to now. Yeah. Or it would be B, oh yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. I have a ton of memories with them. How could I forget? I know exactly who you're talking about. I was watching a video on Facebook the other day that someone I graduated high school with had posted, and it was like them talking to the camera. And I'm sitting there watching it. And I look at, to Emily, and I said, did I graduate high school with this person? And she was like, yeah, you did. And I was like, oh, because I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember graduating high school with this person, you know? And so it's like, wow, I'm getting old. Uh, because I remembered the person, but I didn't, I had forgot about them. But there are other people, if you were to ask me, do you remember so-and-so? It's like, yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. There's a distinct difference between those two answers. And so when we see that God remembered Noah, it wasn't an, oh, yeah, forgot about Noah. He slipped my mind. I wonder what he's up to these days. No, it's God saying, I have not forgotten. I remember. And so in the seasons of your life where you feel like God may be distant or that God has overlooked you or maybe you have slipped God's mind, you need to know this truth tonight. That just as God remembered Noah, he remembers you. That God remembers you, and he has not forgotten you in the midst of your struggle. He has not forgotten you in the midst of your pain or in the midst of your, of your trial or in the midst of your circumstances. God remembers you. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you're walking through and what you're dealing with, and he's not going to forget you in the midst of all that. Let's keep reading. This is Genesis 8, 6 through 12. At the end of 40 days... Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth, never came back. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth a dove, and she did not return to him anymore. So we see Noah do this little experiment. He, he's a little curious about what the flood's looking like. And so to find out, to see if the waters had subsided completely, Noah opens up a window in the ark, and he sends out a raven. Now, this wouldn't have been a window like we think about it. This wouldn't have been like a, a, a large window or a window like this or, or like the curtains are covering. This isn't something that big. If it was, he could have just looked outside. Obviously, he couldn't do that. And so it probably was a small hole that he sent the raven out of. The problem with the raven, the problem with the raven is that it never came back. The reason it didn't come back is because part of raven's diet is something called carry-on. They feed off dead carcasses of, of animals. So you got to think, this flood came killed everything. What happens when things die in the water? They float to the top. So the raven gets sent out, and it's like field day for the raven. Never comes back. The dove, on the other hand, was very different. Noah sends out the dove, the dove, and she eventually did come back. And this told Noah there was nowhere for her to land. And so he waits a week. He sends her out again. She comes back with an olive leaf. And this showed that, well, the water's low enough for her to get to a tree. So I'm going to wait another week, send her out again. That's what he does. And, she, come, and she, never, she never returns. And so this told Noah that the water was gone and the flood was over. And at this point, we don't have time to go into all the scripture tonight, but at this point, God commands Noah to get off the ark, along with his family and the animals. And what we continue to see in this story is the obedience of Noah. He was obedient to build the ark. He was obedient to then get on the ark when he was commanded. And then he waited for a command to get off. 
He was commanded to get on and then commanded to get off. And so let's read and see what Noah did once he got back on solid ground. This is Genesis 8, 20 to 22. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. I love the picture of this, that Noah steps off the ark, something that, that he had spent a century building, a hundred years building, and he gets off and he immediately begins another project. And he gets off the ark and he proceeds to build an altar and he makes a sacrifice to the Lord. And the Lord is pleased by it and he, he makes a promise to never destroy the world again by flood. And to think about all that Noah had went through. To think that he had been through the construction of the ark and then through the flood and then now to get on the other side of the flood. All that he had been through and the whole story that he got to the other side of it and his first response was to worship. Noah's first response was to worship. And notice that God had to command Noah to build the ark, but didn't have to command him to build the altar. Noah did this as a worshipful response to God's rescue. It was his way of saying, thank you. God, you got me through. Thank you for remembering me. Thank you for not forgetting about me. The fact that I'm standing here today is a testament to the promise you made to rescue me. And I'm sure you have faced situations in your life that were really tough, that, that somehow you made it through. And I can't help but wonder tonight that, that when we make it through tough times, when we make it through the, the tough seasons of life, is our first response to be like, wow, I'm glad that's over. Or is it to respond in an act of worship? When God carried us through that pain or carried us through that struggle or through that circumstance, did we respond like Noah did? Did we say, God, thank you for getting me through. Thank you for not forgetting about me. Thank you for remembering me. Thank you for holding true to the promise you made to never forget or forsake me. We're not going to go to a time of response quite yet, but when we do, I think some of us in here tonight that we may be on the other side of some struggle or on the other side of some pain, and I think maybe what you need to do during that time is just to worship, is to tell God thank you, is to acknowledge him as the one who brought you through your circumstance, and to thank him for not forgetting you. As Christians, when God gets us through tough times, we don't need to just feel relieved. We need to worship. When God gets us through tough seasons, we don't, need to, we don't need to just say, man, I'm glad that's over. We need to respond and worship. So the story continues, and like I said, I'm paraphrasing some, but after Noah makes the sacrifices, God then gives Noah and his sons the same command that, that he gave Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden at creation. He tells them, be fruitful and multiply. Go and, and populate the earth and, and that you have dominion over all the earth and what's in it. And so because of this command, we can consider this moment in, in Scripture, this, this clear-cut new beginning that mankind had, had been given. It was a, a fresh start. God had rebooted the earth. He turned it off and turned it back on. And the only difference between these two events, between Garden of Eden and this moment where Noah got off the ark, is that sin was already in the heart of man. There was not going to be another original sin, and we're going to see that come into play a little bit later. So let's read the last few verses and see how the story ends. This is Genesis 9, 11 through 16. This is God talking. He said, I established my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. 
and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring, the, when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So we see that God caps off this event by establishing a covenant with mankind. He'll never again do this, destroy the world by flood. And he said he's going to put a sign in the sky, a bow in the cloud, which would represent the covenant to Noah and his sons and all future generations, which includes you and I. And I love verses 14 and 15. So when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember. God does not forget. He won't ever forget. He hasn't forgot his covenant. He hasn't forgot his promise. And he hasn't forgotten you. And here's, here's where things get interesting. Because immediately after this moment, everything's been leading up to this restart of earth. And immediately after this moment, one of Noah's sons commits a sin that then curses his entire family tree. And if you want a fun fact, the son's name was Ham, and his son's name was Canaan. And so if you remember from our last series, we talked about Joshua and all these people he had to conquer in the promised land. They were all descendants of Noah. And so while the flood was this restart of earth, it was one that failed. It was one that was not good enough. That though, though God unleashed his wrath, his wrath was not satisfied. But this entire story, this, this, this entire thing that we've been talking about all month, this entire story of Noah spending 100 years to build an ark, saving his family, getting to the other side of it, seeing everyone he's ever known, everyone that was alive at the time die, all of this was not in vain. Because what it did was point, point to the actual solution that was the plan since the beginning. And so in the same way that Noah sent out the raven, you guys remember the raven, in the same way that Noah sent out the raven, God would soon send out the law that would do nothing but feed on what was already dead. It did nothing to bring us life, us who are dead in our sin. But then Noah sent out the dove, just as God sent his son to be the perfect solution. And that just as that dove brought back that olive branch to say, hey, the flood's over, Jesus would say on the cross, it is finished. And then God gave the command, be fruitful and multiply. And Jesus said right before he ascended, go and make disciples of all nations. Go multiply. And then we get to the rainbow. If you notice, the word in the verses is not, it's not rainbow. It's bow. Like the weapon. What direction is that bow pointing? Back towards heaven. That's his God's way of saying, I've laid down my weapon. But the next time I pick it up, I'm not aiming at you. I'm aiming at myself. The bow in the cloud served as a reminder then of the covenant made with Noah, but now it serves as a reminder to us of the gospel. It shows that God did not forget. God said that when he saw it, he would remember. And now when we see it, we can say, thank you, God, you remembered. You didn't forget about our need for redemption, our need for forgiveness, 
Our need for, or for eternal life, for, for, for salvation from our sin. You didn't forget about our need for that. Instead, you made a way for us. You didn't unleash your wrath on us again. You instead poured it out on yourself. And so through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we now are saved from our sin. We are given eternal life. And the story of Noah, everything we've talked about this month, points to that. That was the point from the beginning. Tonight, we want to conclude this series by taking communion. And we want to, you know, I, I said last month we want to conclude every series by doing communion. We do it because this is something Jesus commanded us to do. Before he went to the cross, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And the way I like to explain it is there's nothing, there's nothing righteous or holy about bread and juice, but what it is is a symbol of how righteousness was given to us. And communion is a, is a moment of recalibration. It's a moment where we take the broken pieces of our life, the mistakes we've made, the distance we've drifted, and we make a turn back to God. We go from facing one way to facing the other. And then, you know, it, it's, a, it's a time where we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. We remember the body broken and the blood shed. We accept in faith that it's by that body and blood that we've been saved. And the way I usually like to explain it is that I think about all these little magnets on a table, and then this big magnet comes over and everything attaches to the big magnet. A lot of times in our life, we feel like we have these tiny little fragments, these tiny little pieces, broken pieces. And in a moment like this, God can take those upon himself. He can relieve our burdens, give us hope where there is no hope. And so this can be a moment where you can thank God that he hasn't forgotten you in the midst of your struggle. This can be a moment where you can thank God for getting you through something that you went through in the past or something you may be facing now. And so I would encourage you tonight to take a second and get your heart right before the Lord. Say, God, thank you for finding me in my mess. Thank you for not forgetting about me. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. I want to put my faith in that again. And when you're ready, come grab a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and eat. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much for the fact that you did not forget us. God, we thank you that, that when we needed it the most, you didn't hesitate. You sent your son to die for us, to give us eternal life. And we thank you for the story of Noah that points us to that truth, that he was obedient just like your son was. So God, we want to take this moment and all the little pieces of our life, God, we hand them over to you. God, take our burdens. Take what we're facing. God, take our circumstances. And redeem it. Restore it. Cover it in your blood. God, we want to stop facing what we're facing. Turn back to you. God, we thank you for not forgetting us. We thank you for remembering us. In Jesus' name, amen.